Hello, good people of the world. This is David Sanchez, and this is episode number seven of the Riffs or Die podcast for November 10, 2020. 11, 10, 20, 20. There's some kind of numerology mastery and magical happenings in there, I'm sure. I don't know anything about that, but maybe you do. Nerd. I hope this message finds you well. I've had a good day so far. I spent uh, a lot of it hiking up at Layer O the Bear in Colorado in the woods. Got some cool nature footage with my buddy Kyle Lamar, who goes by K Hunter Lamar, and he is with Digital Mile. Digital Mile spelled M Y L E. He's a dude that helped us make the Phantom Force video, the little bass player audition video, and he also worked on the Fear Campaign video with us. He does really great work, so if you need a video, hit him up, Kyle at Digital Mile. Went walking around the woods, got some fresh air, got some cool sights, captured some of them on film, and I think the end result is going to be very, very cool for a music video that we'll have coming out at some point in the future. I'm not sure how far out that future is going to be for that video, but it will see the light of day at some point. My little brother just turned 30 years old this week, and we had a little jam session. Met up with a bunch of buddies over at our friend's house, and he's got a bunch of music equipment set up in a room that's detached from his house. So we had a big, fat jam session in there. Many a drinks were had, and many a notes were played. Happy birthday, Steve. His name is Steven. I like to call him T-Bone. T-Bone Sam Squanch or Steven Sanchez. However you want to slice that, it's up to you. It's a free country. You can do whatever you like. It's been a pretty eventful week. Havoc was featured in Guitar World for the very first time. Guitar World Magazine, that is. Which is like the premier guitar magazine of the universe, I would say. I've been a long-time reader. I know that Reese and myself have both had subscriptions at some point. And, um, yeah, that's a total honor and a dream come true to finally be featured in a magazine that you've been a reader of for a long time, many, many years. So Reese and I are super stoked that we get to grace the pages of that awesome magazine. It's the Holiday 2020 issue. Of Guitar World. It's got Angus Young on the cover. The cover's all kind of red. So if you're at a bookstore or a magazine stand, do they even have those anymore? Or the grocery store or whatever. If you see that on the shelf, go pick one up. And maybe someday in 2038, when we're back on the road because touring is allowed to happen again, bring it out to a show and we can sign it. How about that? I just finished up a mix for a band. It's a test mix. It's kind of the the mix that will dictate whether or not they hire me to do the rest of the record. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Fingers crossed they like it and uh, I'll get to do some more mixing work with them. 
Speaking of bands that I've mixed, La Special just had their first single from their new record come out this week. So go give that a listen. La Special is all one word. L-E Special. With no spaces in there. Look them up. They're a super cool three-piece band. If you're into Primus and Rush, Tool, and Nine Inch Nails, and uh, electronic music with a lot of synths, you'll probably like La Special. They are a very eclectic sounding band. It's really hard to pin down what they sound like. Often when people ask me what La Special sounds like, I have to tell them to just go listen for themselves because it's incredibly difficult to pin it down and describe accurately in a handful of sentences. But the song that just came out is called Snell's Fleet. S-N-E-L-L apostrophe S space F-L-E-E-T. It's a very cool song. It's instrumental. And um, yeah, go check it out. I had a really good time mixing this band's record. And it's a really good record. It's out for pre-order right now. The record is called Ancient Homies. I guess there's some homies from way back in the day. Not sure if that's a reference to aliens or to gods or to past lives. I'm not totally sure, but I'll have to get those guys on here one of these days and pick their brain about it. Go pre-order their new record. It's a really good one. Also, this past week, I went to Kuma's Corner, which is a heavy metal burger place. There's a new Kuma's Corner location in Denver. And I went there earlier this week to listen to the new Nuclear Power Trio record. Speaking of trio bands, I guess that's the theme here today. But I went to Kuma's Corner and checked out the new Nuclear Power Trio listening party. Had some food and some drinks and listened to their new record that just came out. Very cool instrumental music. It's really interesting, like, fusion Latin metal. Really, really good bass lines, great guitar playing, and great drums. And the whole band wears masks that look insanely realistic. It's kind of creepy when you're standing next to them because it feels like it's a real person. It looks like it's a real person, but something's off because there's no facial movements. It's like their their faces are frozen in these uh, silly poses. And a guy from Colorado actually makes the masks for them. And the company's called Hyperflesh. If you want to see what I'm talking about, go check out Nuclear Power Trio's new video. The new song is called Grab Em by the Pyongyang. Pyongyang being the capital of North Korea. The masks are Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, and Kim Jong-un. And actually, the guy that shot the video for them is the same dude that I just worked with today up in the mountains, Kyle Lamar at Digital Mile. Their video came out great. It's got some uh, good cameos from Danny DeVito and Chris Farley and uh, Terminator Osama Bin Laden. Go chunk that out. If you want to support this podcast beyond just listening to it and sharing it with your friends, 
You can go to patreon.com slash riffs or die and sign up as a patron and you'll get access to bonus episodes of podcasts plus discounts on merchandise, live Zoom hangouts, handwritten lyrics, and a whole slew of other cool things that you can get your hands on. So, uh, yeah, if you dig it that much and you feel so inclined and generous, go to patreon.com slash riffs or die and sign up as a member. To all the people that have already done that, thank you very much. And a huge shout-out to Mr. Matthew Wood for signing up as a philosophical riffer. Thanks a lot, Matthew. Much preach. On riffsordie.com, I released some new shirts recently. There are some new No Karate in the Pit shirts and some other shirts that say Music Saved My Life. I know it's true for myself and probably true for somebody listening to this right now. Music is the best, and I had to make a shirt for the people who agree. So a couple of episodes ago, I did a history of Havoc and talked about the origins of the band and went into detail a little bit about some of our records. But I realized when listening back to that podcast that I kind of glossed over two of our albums that I would like to talk a little bit more in depth on this. Those albums being our third record, Unnatural Selection, and our fifth record called Five, or V. V, Five, whatever you want to call it. It's a free country, man. You can do whatever you want, man. So I guess I just kind of failed to go into detail about those records. And the thing that I could say about Unnatural Selection is that it was written fairly quickly because it came out after Time Is Up. And when Time Is Up dropped, we did a ton of touring. And then it was time to come out with a new record. And um, we had, thankfully, some riffs in like the riff vault, the arsenal, the riff pile, as we call it. So we started piecing some songs together from that. And Mike Leon was in the band at the time. And uh, a lot of the material was already written before he had joined the band. But when it was time to finish up the record, a lot of it happened pretty quickly. And we tracked the drums at the Gothic Theater in Inglewood, Colorado, which is like a 1,200-cap room that's got a very tall ceiling and a really big, nice stage, which, by the way, has the best and easiest load-in in the whole state of Colorado that I've ever been to. The back doors of the stage open straight up, a double door, and they open straight up into the alleyway. So you can take stuff from your trailer and walk it like six feet onto the stage. The best. There's no stairs, and it's a cakewalk. Anyways, we were lucky enough to track our drums at the Gothic. Shout out to them. And the rest of it was all tracked in my house. We tracked the bass and the guitars and the vocals all at my place where Time Is Up and Burn and the Point of No Return EP were recorded. Which, by the way, the Point of No Return EP came out after Time Is Up and before Unnatural Selection. So we were doing a lot of touring with Time Is Up. We busted out the Point of No Return EP fairly quickly, did more touring, 
And then it was time to hit record um, after writing Unnatural Selection. But Unnatural Selection was kind of a little bit of a departure from Time Is Up and Burn in that the songs were way more like rock and roll based and a little less abrasive in your face metal. That doesn't go for all of the songs, but uh, that seems to be like the general vibe that happened when we made that record. It was a little less abrasive and more melodic and more rock and roll. And that was something that we did intentionally just because it felt like a good thing to do. When you look at a band like Slayer, they put out Rain and Blood. Their next record is South of Heaven. There's a dramatic difference in the tempos and the vibe of those records. Rain and Blood just kind of rips your face off. And South of Heaven is a little more like reined in and a little more slower tempo and mid-tempo kind of stuff with a lot more melody in the vocals. I also really like the solos on that South of Heaven record. For me, South of Heaven and Rain and Blood are tied for my favorite Slayer records. The drums on South of Heaven are just completely insane. Dave Lombardo shines like a diamond on that record. But getting back to Unnatural Selection, I feel like the lyrics on that record were the best ones that had been committed to recordings in Havoc songs. I feel like I had been reading a lot more books and I had a lot more stuff going on in my mind and a lot more things to say and talk about when it came down to the lyrics. I also feel like Reese Scruggs' solos were getting better at that time too. And that's not to say that what he did on Time Is Up was not great. But if I feel like on Unnatural Selection, the solos kept getting greater and greater. And leading up to Conformicide and V, I think Reese just keeps getting better and better at crafting amazing guitar solos. Reese is a super shredder, and I can't do half of what that guy does with his left hand. It's very insane. And it takes years and years and years of practice and dedication to be able to do the kinds of things that he does on a six string. Some of the stuff that he's able to pull off on a guitar blows my mind. And sometimes he pulls off a lick like with ease. And I look at it and I'm like, <laughs> that would take me <laughs> it'd take me seven years to fucking get that one lick down. Never mind the rest of the solo. But Unnatural Selection charted better than all the rest of our other records previously, which makes sense. The band kept growing and getting bigger and bigger. And uh, it was well-received by fans. A lot of people were still saying Time Is Up was better, but we felt like it wasn't Time Is Up Part 2. We weren't trying to do that. We wanted to be a little bit different from the last record. And all of them, we try to be a little bit different than the previous ones because if you're going to remake the same record over and over, I think it will get boring for the band and probably get boring for the fans. I think Unnatural Selection has some really cool songs on it. And um, some of that stuff is extremely fun to play on guitar. Very fun to sing. One thing that... uh, comes to mind when singing things on Unnatural Selection, especially in the song Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. When I'm singing that song, I am 
genuinely getting pissed off every time I have to sing it because I believe the lyrics are true and they make me very upset. (laughs) I wrote them, but uh, there was passion behind the words. So, you know, I can't go on stage and sing that song and feel nothing. I, I feel a lot when I sing that song on stage. And that's good. I think that's what you want from a performer, from an artist. You want them to have a connection to the art that they're putting out there. When I go on stage and scream out these lyrics in all the Havoc music, my whole body's energy goes into it because it's virtually impossible to sing a lot of these parts that I have to do without energy. It's a very exhausting thing to uh, play a show and belt out some of the vocals that I've written and committed to record, but it's a really, really fun thing to do. So a lot of energy is required, and there's a big payoff. It's a nice release valve so I don't explode like a pressure cooker that's been going too long. I can vent it out, you know, when I'm yelling into the microphone at people with uh, tons of adrenaline coursing through my veins and hot lights above my head and I'm all sweaty and hearing loud metal riffs that we wrote. That's a really good time. And it's a great feeling to be able to scream the negativity out of my body. It's like some primal scream therapy, which is something that I've done at a lot of shows actually get the whole audience to scream and belt out all of their negativity. Get it all out of their body. Scream at the top of your lungs because it feels good. It releases a lot of endorphins. Makes you feel great like Tony the Tiger. Why is his name Tony? Why has he got that bandana around his neck? Is he some sort of like Italian art film student? I'm not sure. But those sugary cornflakes sure are good. At least I remember them being good. I haven't had frosted flakes in a long time. Hey kids, write in and let me know. Are frosted flakes still good? If they're not, maybe you just got to throw some hot sauce on them. Speaking of hot sauce, I got a ton of hot sauce in the mail recently. I got some stuff from Melinda's Hot Sauces. They make a ton of great stuff, and they actually make my favorite hot sauce I've ever tried. It's called the Naga Jalokia. It's um, some sort of boot jalokia, like ghost pepper hot sauce. It's really, really tangy and goes very, very well on pizza and Asian food. It goes well on pretty much anything, but... um, especially on those. So back to Havoc Records. Moving beyond Unnatural Selection and Conformicide, our latest record that came out on May 1st, Mayday, Mayday, of 2020, is called V. It's our fifth record, and it was produced and engineered and mixed and mastered by Mark Lewis or as he would call himself, Lark Mewis. We went out to the Nashville area to record it. He's over there in Tennessee. 
and V was transitional for us in the bass department yet again. Um, going from Nick Shangelis, who is on Conformicide and also plays in Job for a Cowboy and Cephalic Carnage, and moving on to work with our friend Brandon Bruce. A lot of the parts on V were a lot more collaborative than previous records, I think. I feel like Reese contributed more riffs to this one. Pete contributed more drum parts to this one. And it was just a more eclectic and inclusive like collaboration between all of us to make the album. With great results, I might add. It's our favorite record that we've ever made. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think the music kind of speaks for itself. It's a very cool record, and it came out better than any of us had expected it to. So when Brandon joined, most of the music was already created and written and kind of demoed out, minus bass for the most part. Some of the bass stuff I had ideas for already recorded, but largely the bass was undone. And when it came time to write, Brandon flew out here from Nashville, where he lives, And he came out to Denver, and we put our heads together and worked on bass lines. And while he was here, we virtually busted out one song of cool bass a day. We would work out some ideas that he had, work out some ideas that I had, come up with some of it spontaneously on the spot. And we kind of just put our heads together and bounced ideas back and forth and tweaked and refined things to squeeze as much cool juice out of the bass parts as possible. We basically would do a song a day, and we wouldn't stop on that song until we had kind of like the cool factor turned up to 11 on all the parts. We did a lot of working and tweaking and reworking of things. Sometimes um, the first idea is the best one. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you got to uh, put some work in and rearrange some things or change some notes or change some timing or just wipe the entire board clean and start fresh with a completely different approach and idea. But I think the bass lines on V are very, very cool and they work really well off of the guitar. There's a lot of counterpoint and syncopation between the bass and the guitars on V. And we made a big effort to make sure that the bass was not playing the same riff as the guitar the whole time. We tried to, as often as possible, have the bass play a bass line and not just mirror the guitars. Because in a metal, it seems to be fairly common for the bass to just mirror the guitar riff. And when that happens, you might as well just get an octave pedal and put it on the guitar because... uh The bass isn't doing its own bass line. It's just playing the guitar riff an octave low. So we tried to avoid that in all possible cases where we could get away with it. Brandon came in with some very, very cool ideas. And some of my favorite bass lines on the record were totally his idea. There's a lot of really cool shit on there. And Brandon did a really, really killer job. And again, I think Reese's solos keep getting better and better. And also Pete's drumming on V, I think, is just 
completely insane. There's some parts on V where Pete is just completely on fire. I think everybody did a great job of uh, tracking their parts, being uh, real tight, and kicking things up a notch, getting things to like a whole new level for the band. As far as um, just the overall sound and precision and creativity. V has my favorite lyrics of any lyrics I've ever written for a record. A lot of the songs are inspired by psychedelia and philosophy. And there are still some lyrics on the record that won't surprise anybody. Things that are talking about anti-political ideas or the war machine or just a the values of maximum freedom and minimal oppression. Those are things that I've touched on in the past in many other songs, but on this record, there's also some other stuff that's never been talked about on Havoc Records. Many of them have to do with the state of the world today. For those that listen to Havoc, you probably realize that a lot of the lyrics are pretty (laughs) on the nose, and I don't really beat around the bush too much with what I'm talking about. The reason I do that is I feel like our time here is very short. I don't want people to be trying to dissect what I'm talking about too much. I want them to understand what the song is about. So maybe it doesn't come off as poetic as some people would prefer, but for me, I feel like our time here is very short, and I want to get the point across and not be misunderstood with what I'm saying. I want to be concise and clear and very direct and blunt with what I'm trying to convey in the messages of the song the closing song on the record is called don't do it and i wrote that song because i saw a horrifying statistic that young people teenagers and younger maybe early 20s and younger i saw this stat that in the last like 10 years three times as many young people are killing themselves Suicides in young people have gone up 300% in the last decade or so. And I thought that was completely insane. And I wanted to write a song about it. So the end result was a song, Don't Do It. You know, I've been in uh, dark places before. And I know what that feels like to be down in the dumps and feeling like nobody cares. And I wanted to say something and send a message to young people who are listening to the band and who might be feeling that way. Because obviously I'm talking to you right now, so it's clear that I did not commit suicide. And I'm very, very glad to be here today. Things can get much, much better. And I wanted young people who might be feeling down to hear that message and to hopefully heed the title of the song and don't do it. A lot of Havoc lyrics, although they touch on some negative things sometimes, I always try to twist it in some way to give it some sort of a positive outlook because I don't want people to listen to our songs and just be bummed out for the rest of the day. I want people to listen to our songs and maybe be stoked or think 
in a new way. And I don't want people to think like me. I just want people to think. Some of the lyrics are left open-ended intentionally so that the listener can get whatever they want out of the song instead of, uh, you know, like cheating on a math test and I gave them all the answers. I I want people to figure things out for themselves to an extent. I I am pretty clear-cut with what I'm talking about in many of these songs, but many of them are left open to some interpretation by the listener. Hopefully people are getting something good out of it and I'm not making people want to shove their face through their laptop screen. That's the hope anyways. I don't know if it's working, but <laughs> the the intention is not to make people upset. The intention is to try to arouse thought in people's heads. But I think V is our best sounding record that we've ever made. I really like the mix on it. I really love the bass sound. The bass tone is super killer. And for the dirt on the bass there, I believe we wound up using a Sansamp, Tech 21 Sansamp, which is a killer classic bass pedal. Lots and lots and lots of people have used that. A lot of people are digging the dark glass pedals nowadays, but me personally, I prefer the sound of the Sansamp. Different colors of the same kind of thing. Dark glass stuff sounds good too, but... Me personally, I prefer the sound of Sansamp stuff. For me, anytime I plug a bass into a Sansamp, turn it on, and just even with all the knobs at 12 o'clock, I feel like you turn that thing on and it instantly makes your bass sound better. There's naturally a little bit more dirt, a little bit more compression, and just a little bit more like growl and teeth on the bass sound. I do likes me some Sansamp pedals. And the vocal sound on V is also something I really love about the tonality of that record. We used a Warm Audio WA-47. It's a tube microphone. Honestly, it was my favorite vocal mic I've ever sang into. Something about it just complemented my voice very nicely, and it made it very warm. Uh, No pun intended with the company name there, Warm Audio. But that microphone has a very warm sound, like almost uh, overdriven, and it sounds like it has extra harmonic saturation in the vocals. And I really love the way that my voice sounds on V, and it's largely due to that Warm Audio 47 mic. We shot out a ton of gear. When making this record, I think for vocals, we tried like four different vocal mics. And when it came down to basses, we tried out, I think, like 11 different basses. Guitars, we shot out like five different guitars. But where we really went crazy was on the guitar amps and the speakers. I believe we tried out. 13 different guitar heads and I think we shot out like 9 or 10 different guitar speakers. Mark and myself went nuts with (laughs) the tone quest to come up with the result that you hear on V. 
We tried out so many different combinations of things. And uh, speaker-wise, I think everything we tried out was Celestian. And they make a plethora of different speakers for a guitar cab. Everything that we tried out was a 12-inch speaker. And what you hear on the record is actually a 65-watt cream back speaker. There was a lot of speakers that I really dug. I really like the Celestian Vintage 30, which is a classic, and you've heard it on tons and tons of metal records. I also really loved the V-Type. So if you're looking for some new speakers for your guitar cab, you might want to check those three out. There was a bunch of other ones that were also really great, but not what I was looking for on this Havoc record. But the uh, Vintage 30, the V-Type, and the 65-watt Creambacks all sounded amazing to my ear. I think Mark also really liked all three of those speakers, but we wound up going with the 65-watt Creamback because it had more low-end than the other ones and uh, had a nice, like, sharp, tight mid-range and high-end. So uh, if you want to get a little bit closer to the sound of V, you got to check out those 65-watt Creamback speakers from Celestian. We also had a really good time in the guitar tone department, messing around with pedals. And we used the same guitar sound for the main left and the main right sounds of the rhythm guitars. It was basically the ESP EX, my white one, that's got EMG H4 pickups in it. It's a passive humbucker that EMG makes. Sounds a lot like an 81, but it's a lot more open and natural and just dynamic sounding. But we use that with Ernie Ball strings, 10 to 52s. And we ran that through an Electro Harmonics Soul Food overdrive just to add a little bit extra drive and dirt and push to like kind of fill the holes on palm mutes. And we ran that into the amp. But on a lot of the parts where there's a third guitar up the center, or there might be an additional third and fourth guitar in the left and the right, we used different overdrives or different distortion pedals or different amplifiers to get some of those um, special sounds kind of blended into the main guitar sound. We used a ton of amps. We used some PV stuff. Um, I believe on the record, we wound up using PV, Driftwood, Mesa, Marshall, Rhodes, and we might have wound up using a diesel as well. But some of the parts where there's a third guitar, we did play around with a Boss HM2, a Tube Screamer, or all kinds of different distortions and overdrive pedals, just to get some like fun tones to color the sound of the record in a different way, just so we weren't using the exact same guitar tone for everything. We did use pretty much the exact same guitar tone for the main left and right, like I said. But anytime there was a third guitar or a fourth guitar, we spiced it up with something a little bit different, which was super fun. It's time-consuming, but it was very fun. Because I'm a gear nerd and I love 
tones and finding new ways to make a guitar crunch in an interesting way. So although that was time consuming, it was well worth it for me. I had a good time and learned a lot, especially about the way that speakers sound. The way that different speakers sound was never so obvious to me. But Mark asked me before we did the record, like, hey, I've got all these different Celestian speakers that I guess they had sent to him. Do you want to try them all out and see what you like? And again, being a total gear nerd was absolutely down for that. And I learned a ton about the different sounds that are in these speakers. And it's amazing how much the speaker changes the tone of your guitar. Some of them have way more low end. Some of them have way more high end and are missing some low end. Some of them have a way scooped out mid-range. Some of them have a boosted mid-range. So that was a, a very lengthy but worthwhile experiment. And I got to thank Mark Lewis for having the patience to go through and do all of that because it was not just like a couple hours. It took many, many, many hours to get all that shooting out done and experimentation with tone. But in the end, I think it was all well worth it and the results are killer sounding. I think the record sounds crushing. Mark did a great job on the mix and the master. And a little side note here on the gang vocals, on the backup vocals on V. We had some guests come in and do some of the gang vocals with us, including a guy named Nick Ford, who paid for doing backup vocals on the Conformicide record when we did the Pledge Music thing, but he couldn't make it out for that, so he made it out for the V recordings, and he came all the way from Hong Kong to do the gang vocals with us. We also had our buddy Jack Gibson from Exodus come and help us with that, we also had a couple of the dudes from the band from Nashville called Denman, who are brothers, and they play in a really cool metal band you should check out. And the rest of the gang vocals were taken care of by myself and Brandon and Mark Lewis. So there you go. There's some of the things that I kind of glossed over in that History of Havoc episode. That was episode number five. And now you know the rest of the story good day. Just kidding, it's not really over. So now that I've babbled your ear off about gear and talking about a couple of Havoc records, let's dive into some of these questionis for the week. If you want to write in any questions or comments, please send them to podcast at riffsordie.com and maybe, just maybe, I'll read it on the air or the digital air, or the ether, whatever this is. One thing I've been asking people to write in is the best piece of advice they ever got, or some ancient wisdom, or wisdom that was passed down to them from their grandparents, or their parents, or a friend, or an artist, or a writer, or whatever. I want to hear some wisdom dropped on this show so that I can share it with the rest of the world, and hopefully by the end of the episodes for all of these podcasts, will be a little bit smarter, maybe a little bit wiser. So please send some wisdom to podcast at riffsordie.com. And without further ado, 
Let's get to the first question. This one says, Hey, David, how are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you? Hello? Hello? I think he hung up on me. Well, let me get back to this email here. He says, I'm loving the podcast. Thanks for putting out episodes for us. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. My question is, how was it recording the clean vocals on Don't Do It? I think it might be my favorite Havoc song. Anyways, I appreciate the content so far. Thanks, man. Well, thank you for listening, and that's very cool to hear that you like the music. Recording the clean vocals on Don't Do It. To be perfectly honest, it was extremely difficult. (laughs) That song took a long time. There's also a lot of vocal harmonies and things like that going on in that song, and it was not quick, not easy. That was probably the most challenging vocals I've ever done on a recording. Brandon is doing a lot of the harmonies on that song, and honestly, he's a much better singer than I am. For that song, I wish that he would have been the lead singer and I didn't have to do it. But I think part of what made it so difficult is that it was written just like the same day or a day before we actually did the tracking of it. So there wasn't like a well thought out melody that I was able to practice for a month before hitting the record button. It was kind of like on the fly, so it was extremely challenging. I'm not a very great singer. I would consider myself a pretty good yeller or screamer, but melodic vocals, like that's not really my forte. That's not what I'm great at. I'm not great at much, but I think I can yell and scream pretty well. So the vocals in Don't Do It were actually very, very difficult. Obviously, the end, the vocals get a lot more aggressive, and that was way easier to record. So that's a little more insight into that song, I suppose. Thanks a lot for writing in. Much preach. This one says, Life Advice. What's up, David? Hello. What is up? Um, I've got a piece of acoustic foam above my head and some popcorn ceiling, and I think above that, There's some insulation and a roof and some shingles and then air and atmosphere and then outer space and infinity. Maybe another universe or many universes. Oh my God, I'm scared we're in the multiverse. (laughs) All right, back to the email. It says, the best life advice I've ever received was from my mom when I was 18. She told me to never willingly move backwards in life. She never took back an old job, took back an ex, moved back into an old apartment, or went back to former friends. I've followed this advice for the past four-ish years, and it hasn't failed me yet. I asked my girlfriend what the best life advice she ever received was, and she told me it was to never turn your passion into a career. I told her that... (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I told her that probably wouldn't apply to the lead singer of Havoc. Ha ha. You and the band are fucking awesome, and I love the podcast. Well, thank you very much for writing in. This is great. I love your mom's advice. Never willingly move backwards in life. That is one for the ages. I'm going to have to write that down. Never willingly move backwards in life. 
There's a lot you could uh, unpack out of that statement. That's really great. And as far as not turning your passion into a career, why wouldn't you want to do that? I guess the only reason you wouldn't want to do that is maybe it'll ruin your passion, make it not so passionate anymore. I'm not sure, but if you're super passionate about it, you can figure out a way to make money doing what you love to do. I think uh, that's a, a worthy way to spend your life and a good direction to go. So I could kind of understand where your girlfriend is coming from on that, but there's two sides to the coin, I think. And if you want to turn your passion into a career, then I think you should absolutely do that. I'm sorry to your girlfriend, but I'm going to have to uh, go with your mom's advice on this one and say that that is the real life advice here in this email. Never willingly move backwards in life. In the words of Mr. Bungle, Thanks, Mom! All right, guys and gals and people that don't like to be called guys or gals, got one last email here, and then we're going to wrap it up. This one says, wisdom plus a question. All right, I'm in. Everybody buckle up. It says, hiya, David. Oh, that sounds kind of like the kids in the Three Ninjas movies. Hiya! Thanks for doing the podcast. I really enjoy hearing what you have to say. Well, thank you for listening. Plus, it makes me laugh during these trying times. So, ultra thanks for that. You're welcome. Best piece of wisdom I've ever received came from a literal motherfucker, a.k.a. my dad. He said, you gotta question everything every day, even if the answers are impossible to find. If you don't, you make yourself easier to be taken advantage of. Let me read that one more time. You gotta question everything every day, even if the answers are impossible to find. If you don't, you make yourself easier to be taken advantage of. Yes, absolutely. Question everything. Question everything you hear, everything you see, and everything you think. So the question part of your email says a question. I've been depressed as fuck, and my usual metal playlists just aren't helping as much as they used to. Would you be willing to recommend some good funk to help me out of this bad funk? Thanks again, dude. Hope all's well in your neck of the woods. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that you've been depressed. I can understand there's um, a lot of things that are not ideal at the moment in our current state of the world. But I find that funk music is like the most uplifting, positive, good vibe, like happy music. It's very uplifting and I love listening to funk for this reason. So some good funk to help you get out of the bad funk. I would recommend a band called Pleasure. Pleasure is a band that somehow slipped through the cracks of what is considered great classic funk. I don't know how they slipped through the cracks, but they did. They're kind of like a more dirty earth, wind, and fire, I guess. But check out the band Pleasure, especially the songs Glide, Nothing To It, Ghettos of the Mind, and Let's Dance. Those are four really, really great pleasure songs. Their bass player, Nathaniel Phillips, is a monster on the bass. He's completely insane. 
So pleasure should make you feel much more pleasurable. You can't really ever go wrong with James Brown or Rick James. Cool in the gang. I would definitely recommend some Larry Graham, specifically his band Graham Central Station. Larry Graham was the bass player in Sly and the Family Stone. And that dude basically invented slap bass. He's like the godfather of slap bass. Also, the Brothers Johnson, Ohio Players, and the Gap Band. Also, you can't go wrong with Funkadelic and Parliament. Especially Parliament is more like on the funky side. Even though Funkadelic has funk in the name, they're a little more of like a rock band, I feel. Where Parliament is definitely a little more funky. Get some Bootsy Collins in you, baby. Hallelujah. Well, that is it for this episode, number seven of the Riffs or Die podcast. Thanks a lot. If you guys made it this far, you are a champion of the universe, and I appreciate you a lot. Thank you very much. Again, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch, or you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash riffsordie. Please keep writing in with your questions, comments, wisdom, advice. Send all that good stuff to podcast at riffsordie.com. And my weekly musical suggestion, other than the funk bands that I just laid before you, is go check out the new Le Special song called Snell's Fleet. I mixed it, and I think it's a killer, killer song. It's quite long, but it takes you on a little roller coaster ride. It's a musical adventure. So go check that out. Pre-order the new La Special record. And I will talk to you all sometime in the near future from a new location. I'll have some more details on that on the next episode. I'm very excited about it. Can't wait to tell you all about it. So that is it. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you all very soon. Take care of each other and try to leave the world a little bit nicer than the way you found it. And we'll be all right. Toodaloo!